Again, take your Bibles, turn to chapter 17 of the Gospel according to John. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 6 through 19. I'll read those, but we're only going to be considering verses 6 through 11a, 6 through 11a this morning. And that is in your outline, simply the very first point of the outline is all we will consider this morning. Again, welcome to our guest. We're so glad you're here. I know there are a number of family members for the Anders here for this, this wonderful morning. We're glad you're here. We hope that you'll come back again very soon. We considered those opening words of our Lord in the great high priestly prayer last time, the first five verses, and we we focused on, on the glory of the Lord, his, his own prayer for himself, that he would be glorified with that glory that he had possessed from before the foundation of the earth, and also for the Father to be glorified. And if you struggle with what does that mean for Christ to be glorified, for the Father to be glorified, last week we considered that it means for, for us to honor him for him to be exalted, for him to be praised. That's what it means to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means for the Father to be glorified. The reason he's to be glorified, as we saw last week, is because of the work that he's accomplished, the eternal life that he's secured for his people. He's very specific there. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's those, he says, that the Father has given him. In verse 2. The eternal life that I gave to all whom you have given me. And today we're going to pick up now he shifts praying for himself to praying for his immediate disciples, those who are right there with him. Those, not just the 11 that are left. If you remember, Judas has already gone. He is, he's out committing the great treason against holy God. But he's also praying for all the disciples who are following him. Now we'll eventually, way down in verse 20, get to us. He's going to pray for us too. But in the meantime, as we saw last week, we'll see today we can learn an awful lot in the way the Lord prays for others, not just for us. So let's read verses 6 through 11. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. 
I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your word. We ask now that you would bless by giving us ears to hear, that you would illumine our minds so that we understand your word is clear. The problem is our sin. So we pray that you would cause us to be able to understand your clear, sufficient, authoritative word. And we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. The whole prayer is about Jesus setting before the Father his sacrifice. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And for this reason, because of what I've done, this is what I'm asking. So as I've already said in those first five verses, he's asking for his glory to be restored. Now, it wasn't that he wasn't glorified in the earth. B.B. Warfield was certainly right when he said that as Jesus walked all through Judea, Galilee, that everywhere he went, the glory of God swept along behind him. I mean, that's the reason the people were amazed. When he spoke, how did they describe his speaking? He speaks with an authority no man has. That was the glory of God. When he healed, and they were amazed, as because the glory of God was showing. And then that one time on the Mount of Transfiguration, they really see the glory of God manifested. But it was not the glory that he possessed in fullness in the presence of the Father, free of the sinful world surrounding him. And where he is now in session with the Father and the Spirit seated on the throne now because of his manhood in this life. But that's what he prays for in those first five verses. And next he's going to pray as we've just entered into these disciples who are all around him. And then in verse 20, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all, all the prayer is based upon what he has accomplished. And so when he begins here in these verses, 6 through 11, he gives the status of the disciples. He explains to the Father. And you're like, but the Father knows all this. Yeah. Doug, Doug Kelly, Dr. Kelly wrote years ago, a wonderful little book, If God Knows, Why Pray? And here's the bottom line. Simply put, he wants us to know. 
So we seek, we search out his word. We study his scriptures so we can pray his prayer back to him. We can pray his word back to him. You ever pray and you're wondering if you're praying the right thing? Well, it's probably because you're not praying the Bible. That's probably why you wonder if it's, you know, should I be saying this to God? It might even be something as simple as, you know, I feel sometimes like I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with God. Well, that's okay. Moses argued with God. Dr. Kelly has a wonderful little section in his book on that, arguing with God. Now, that's reverentially, not obnoxiously and not, not in a manner that's unbiblical. But the Lord Jesus here is setting us an example as he prays to the Father. And I'll remind you again, as I did last week, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. The disciples were there. They're, they're witnessing this. And then they go out with him. And so just as they were the audience, so to speak, hearing him and learning from him, so we are now as we read this wonderful prayer and as we hear it preached upon. So, here's what Jesus is doing. He's giving the Father the rationale for praying for his immediate followers. And that's what we want to see this morning. And these same reasons we can give. Not that we accomplish these things. Jesus accomplished these things for us. But we are these people. For instance, the first thing is, Jesus says that they're called out of this world. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Well, we were once in this world. Paul says this in writing to the church at Corinth. He said, after he lists this series of, of awful sinners, effeminate, blasphemers, homosexuals, and on and on he gives the list, liars even. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You mean God throws liars in with homosexuals? As being an abominable sin. Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't say it. God did. And then Paul says this. And such were, past tense, such were some of you. If you're saved today, if you're in Christ Jesus today, if you're united to Jesus today, it's because he took you out of the world. It's the reason Jesus said no man can have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom. You're either in or you're out. There's no middle ground. Anybody ever got caught on a barbed wire fence? Men who hunt often do. And you're, you're one foot on one side of the fence and one on the other and that wire's got you. And you're no man's land. 
And Jesus says when it comes to spiritual things, you can't live that way. I don't take one part of you. I take all of you. And so Jesus says the first reason to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, we were in the world. These disciples were in the world. And God gave them to the Son out of the world. Yours they were. How was it that they came to be Jesus's? Well, because they were the Father's first. That's the antecedent to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying... I took them out of the world. You go back to chapter 15, verse 19, and Jesus says that very thing. I call them out. But now he says, you call them out. Which is it? Yes. The reason Jesus could could call them out in the immediate historical context because the Father had set them apart in the eternal context. It's good because we're so time-bound, because we get so caught up in history, because we live on a 24-hour clock, and we live on a calendar. I don't have my phone. I don't bring it in because I might forget to turn it off. But you've ever said how about next Thursday you probably noticed I pulled my phone out and I clicked that little Apple calendar right up there it's such a handy dandy thing but we forget that God's out of time I don't mean out of time as in expiring he's outside of time we saw it in Psalm 33 he looks down on the world he is over it he is out of it and yet he's in it you and I can't be that way that's part of what I prayed earlier we're finite he's infinite so just remind us get us in the in the in the in the mindset of eternity instead of time listen to this I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. People really struggle with that. You mean God chose a people before the foundation of the world? That's what it says. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. I have manifest your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That's time. Historically. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. They have kept your word. And here he's dipping back into John 6. We've looked at this passage several times because it keeps coming up. It resurfaces. How did they come to be Jesus's? Because the Father gave them to Jesus. They were the Father's. When? Before the foundation of the world. We just read that. 
Now, whether we can conceptualize that or not doesn't change a thing. God said it, that settles it. That's the first reason Jesus says that he's praying for them is because they are his and they have been his from before the foundation of the world. Second reason Jesus gives for praying for his disciples is that they followed the word. They followed the word of the Lord. You see that? Now, in verse 6, he says, uh, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Notice, folks, listen. I say this to covenant folks all the time. Visitors, I'm not picking on you. I pick on them all the time. Because God picks on us all over, all the time. This idea that I can believe something abstractly and that's what it, how, it, how a Christian is defined is in abstraction is a, false, is a false lie. Did you notice how Jesus begins here? They kept the word. Another word for that would be they obeyed it. They didn't just somehow in their brain think, yeah, I could believe that, I guess. Okay, yeah. No, it affected their lives. So much so that they were motivated to keep it. They kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. They kept the word. They know the word. Verse 8. For I've given them the words that you gave me. How important is the word of God? It's essential. It's, an, it, it's, it's a sine qua non. It's an unconditional. It, it's, it, you can't get around this. I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them. They received them. That's synonymous with believing. They believe, they've kept, they're doing They've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. That's the second reason he's praying for them. is because they believe the word and it changed their lives. They've received it. It's who they are. It's part of their very their very essence they know it that's not a oh I know that that's a I know that it's that intimate knowledge and there's a difference between something being yep I know that and yes I know that there's some difference between an intimate relationship and just a a passing acquaintance. And this is no passing acquaintance. These people have an intimate relationship with God through his word because they've received it and they've kept it. That's why Jesus is praying for them. And by the way, that's the only people Jesus prays for. Did you notice that? I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. You say, wow, that seems harsh. Jesus doesn't pray for 
people out there? Well, we're going to find later when we come down here. He does pray for them in the sense that his people are in it. And he calls them out of it. That's how we started, isn't it? Those whom you gave me out of the world. But what Jesus is saying here in verse 9 is, I don't pray for that world system. I don't pray for the people who hate me and are, are, are against me. I came to save my people from their sins. Now again, you may say, oh boy, that's kind of hard to take. Well, there's some hard things in the Bible to take, y'all. And it boils down to, are we going to be like these disciples for whom Christ is praying and we receive the words that God gives us? So, he prays for them because the Father gave them to him. He prays for them because they believed him. They followed his words. There's also another reason that they gave him. Oh, and, and by the way, did you, did you notice something here? It says, uh, it says, now they know that everything that you've given me is from you, for I've given them the understanding of the words that you gave me. They have received them. They've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Your translation may have said, instead of know, may have said understand. And if it did, you may have paused there and thought, whoa, wait a minute. I've, you know, we've been reading this book with you, Pastor, and you pointed out over and over that they didn't always understand. And they had asked Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, the reason that Jesus could say something like this, I'm, not pr I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours, is that he sets, he sets the disciples in contrast to the world. In contrast to the world, they do understand. They understand and believe. Now, does that mean they understand fully? No. None of us understand fully. But I didn't want to get away from that in case, in your translation, like the New American Standard, renders it understand. And you're thinking, boy, they don't seem to understand. But compared to the world, they did. And so do we compared to the world. And yet we sit back and say, I don't understand everything God's doing. All right, let's move on. Third reason he gives for praying for this little band. I have been glorified in them. I have been glorified in them. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
This comes in the perfect tense. Now, you don't have to get hung up on that. That just means it's, it's a state of perfection, accomplishment. It's complete. You're like, wow. I have been glorified in that little ragtag bunch of disciples who are going to be scattered. Jesus has just told them, you're going to be scattered. He's told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus is being glorified. He says so. Another way of putting it, D.A. Carson says, here's a, a nice little way to put it, and glory has come to me through them. It's an accomplishment. It's, it's fact. That's the way God sees his disciples, y'all. That we're, we're, we're bringing glory to him. Now, there's only one way that can be true. Because we don't live lives that are good enough and perfect enough to reflect Jesus all the time. And to bring honor and glory and exaltation to him. In fact, we often pray, do we not, in the confession of sin, that we have brought dishonor upon Christ. We have brought dishonor. We have harmed the fame of the Holy Spirit. We pray that prayer every once in a while. Because we do. When we sin, we dishonor Christ. And yet here he says... This ragtag bunch of, of, of followers glorify him. You mean they glorified him when John and his brother are arguing about who's going to sit beside Jesus in the kingdom? Well, I don't know the answer to that. But I know this, all in all, they glorified Christ. And again, there's only one way that can be true is because when God the Father looks on these disciples here and looks on us here and now, he sees Christ. Because Christ's perfect righteousness, everything Christ did glorified the Father perfectly. He never sinned. And everything Jesus did was then taken and imputed to us as though we had perfectly done it. But we didn't. Christ did. But we get credit for it. And so our lives, as it's perceived by God the Father, our lives glorify the Son because He sees us that way. Now you think about that. You mean on my worst day, God the Father sees me as if I were Jesus Christ, his son? Yep, if you're in Christ, he does. If you're not, he doesn't. But if you're in Christ, if you know him, if you received his words, if you keep his words, if you've believed in him, that's how the Father sees us on our worst day. That's the gospel, y'all. There's no hope without that. That's the reason he's praying. 
for us is because we glorify him. And then a final reason. It's because he's about to leave. Did you see that? Verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. He's praying for this bunch of disciples who are going to deny him, who are going to run and hide. And that's why he's praying for them. We do that, don't we? Every earthy illustration falls flat when you try to apply it to Jesus and God. I know that. So don't come up afterward and say, that doesn't work if you run the logic out. Gotcha. But when we're with friends, oh, let's just go straight to our hearts. When our children are about to go off to daycare for the first time, go off to kindergarten for the first time, first grade, high school, college, they get married. And they're going to be away from you. Don't you pray more for them because you're about to be away from them and you can't do for them every little thing that you've been doing for them? Now, we should be praying for them way before then. But we tend to do that, don't we? Jesus says here, I'm about to leave this world. And that's one of the reasons he's praying this prayer for them. Now, he's already said, I'm going away, but I won't leave you as orphans. I will send you another one just like me, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And now he's at that point. Did you notice how he says it, though? He doesn't say, I'm about to go away. He says, and I am no longer in the world. This was a done deal. This was not something that could possibly change in the next 24 hours. Remember, these are some of the last words that the Lord Jesus Christ has to say to his disciples before his crucifixion. This is the farewell discourse. And he says, Father, I'm praying for them because I'm gone. Now, he's going to come back and be resurrected, and he's going to be with them for 40 days on this earth before he ascends to heaven. But in the present situation, his present state, his work is finished, save for the cross and the resurrection. There's another reason he can say, I am no longer in this world, is because he's God. And he's trying his best again to help them understand this. I'm not of this world. And so I'm praying for you. Well, as I said earlier, we've not reached verse 20. That's where Jesus prays for those of us who believe now. But we have a lot to rejoice for, don't we? Our Lord so loved us that he came from the Father. 
he spoke clearly and authoritatively and sufficiently to change us. I came to give life. He's gone back to the Father through the instrument of the cross and the tomb. And he has saved us from our sins. We're his and his ours. And he even now, we're told, intercedes for us so that we can be saved completely. Not just a little bit, completely. Not just enough, but completely. So completely that the Father looks at us and sees the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus. Is there any wonder then that the scriptures call the church the bride of Christ? I say this in all the counseling sessions when I'm counseling, premarital counseling, as we're getting ready for the wedding, I tell the young men, if I look at you, as she starts down that aisle, and I do not see a big old grin and smile come across your face, I'm stopping it right now. Because no, no man who's ever seen his bride does not see the most beautiful thing he's ever seen walking down that aisle. That's what Jesus sees. That's what the Father sees in us because we look like his son, perfect. That's why he prays for us. And that's why we can count on him to be interceding for us at every turn. People will fail you. As I said last week, how often do we say, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, and then we get busy and forget. But our Lord Jesus never, ever fails because of all these reasons. We're his and we're beautiful. Amen. Father, thank you. We ask now that you would, you would bless the preaching of your word, that your spirit would sink it deep in our hearts and change us that we might not leave this place as the weary sinners we came, but we'd leave more like Jesus. And we ask this in his wonderful name. Amen.